Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Ham Nation is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Ham Nation, episode number nine, July 19th, 2011. Carol Perry teaches ham radio in the classroom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ham Nation. Clearly, I am not Bob Heil. Uh, Bob is out at a uh, convention or um, a show or something, uh, probably peddling microphones or dispensing wisdom. I am Gary Pierce, KN4AQ. Uh, some of you saw me a couple weeks ago on the Field Day show. I am a uh, the producer of the amateur radio video news series of documentaries and seminars that are available on DVD at that uh, address. <laughs> There's your fingers, right? That address right down there. Um, I've also written some articles for QST. You've been seeing my byline now and then. And um, I've... Uh, been a columnist at uh, CQVHF. I think I may be the most famous ham radio operator you have never heard of. And I've got some big shoes to fill tonight, sitting in here for Bob Heil. appreciate his trust in me to not uh, destroy the program, at least hopefully not. Fortunately for me, I have help. Gordo is uh, sitting out there on the West Coast ready to go. And uh, hello, Gordon, WB6NOA, KN4AQ, how copy over. I hear you great. KN4AQ, the voice of uh, tonight's uh, twit. This is WB6NOA, and hi to everybody on Ham Nation. Gordo here, and we have great news. Boy, the pressure is off. Leo has passed his examination with flying colors. We heard that he uh, took the exam just a couple of days ago and did very well on his Element 2 technician class examination. He's holding right now for call signs. Soon as he gets his FCC-issued call sign, he's then going to turn it in for a vanity call, probably something or rather 6TWT, and uh, then he'll be on the air at our big open house uh, at his facility coming up shortly. So, Gary, uh, what do you think? He finally made the exam. Go ahead. I had no uh, no doubt that he was going to have no trouble at all. Leo's a smart guy, and uh, I, I wish he were available for us to chat with, but he's not available to be on the program tonight. I probably will be here uh, next uh, next Tuesday, so uh, we'll find out how he did it, because that's what I want to know. You know. How did he study, and what was his experience like taking the test? Um We've got a lot of folks who are not hams that watch the program, and and hopefully some of them will become interested in becoming a ham. And so he's got some valuable experience to impart on uh, what it's like uh, taking a test. It, I don't. What was the last test that you took, Gordon? It's been a long time for me. Well, I took it back, uh, as you did, down at the Federal Communications Commission where they had uh, an ominous-looking person looking uh, over your shoulder, and it was both a code test at 20 words per minute as well as the extra. In fact, I've got a um, a note here from one of our readers, and he says, Hey, Gordo, I plan to take all two or three exams. Can I do it at once? And the answer is, you could do it at once, but you know, we recommend to our students 
Get the technician class license and get on the air. There's so much to do with technician class. Uh, there's D-Star, there's IRLP, there's Echolink, there's talking to the International Space Station, there's working DX on 10 meters and 6 meters via SkyWave. There's so much to do. Don't uh, immediately go to general class until you've been on the air as a technician for at least a year. And then for generals wanting to upgrade to extra class, we give them the same routine, uh, Gary. We say, be a general, operate. Don't just go for three licenses and end up an extra that has never been on the air. That's not ham radio. All of us want a seasoned ham before they go to the next plateau. And I know Leo uh, gave the general class test a try just to see what it was like, and that's what we recommend. Give that other next test a try, even though you haven't really studied for it. That way you'll know what it's like when you're really going to go get it for sure. Uh, go ahead, Gary. And that's true, although your advice is probably different than what 99% of the uh, hams out there um, who are talking to people who are about to take their tests would say. So uh, you got a, a slightly contrary opinion to what, what you're going to hear from just about anybody else. They'll say, take them all if you can. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're right. The, the idea is get on the air and enjoy what you've got and upgrade when you're ready. If you think that it's not going to be that hard to, to take them all, well, yeah, okay, but get on the air. Uh, we don't need any more hams who have a license hanging on the wall and no radios, and they don't spend any time on the air. Well, a, a big part of tonight's program is going to be talking about making new hams, education, and bringing in younger hams. So we're going to have Carol Perry um, Carol is WB2MGP. She's a retired school teacher from up in New York, and uh, we'll have her on the program in just a couple of minutes. But first, um, we've got our email segment, and um, Bob received a couple of emails uh, just before uh, this program went on in the past 24 hours or so from a couple of folks, and they sent us some pictures, and I want to go through a little bit of, uh, of what they sent us. The first one is uh, from John, K-Y-Y-Z. And um, John wrote, uh, hi, Bob, because he didn't know I'd be reading it. Hi, Bob. Uh, let me start by saying I really enjoy Ham Nation. Well, thank you, John. You and Gordo have a great chemistry on the air. Uh, I'm trying to make a joke in there. Something about explosions, but it's not coming to me. Keep up the great work. It can only get better. And my favorite part of his letter, Gary Pierce, KN4AQ, is one of my favorite guests. I hope you have Monsoon. And, John, you got your wish. You may change your mind. Um, John says, I'm a new general class operator, so bravo. One of my recent obsessions is antennas. And, Alex, I think we got some uh, some pictures, uh, email picks number one and two. There we go. That's uh, one of the antennas that, uh, that John has built, especially homebrew antennas. It, it's a basic vertical wire antenna for 20 meters. And what you're looking at there is the ground plate with all of the uh, radials coming off of it. Um and the next picture will show you more of the antenna. Believe it or not, my very first QSO with the antenna was also my first HF QSO and my first DX QSO. I couldn't believe my ears when I called CQ. The call came, or answer to CQ call from OK1CF in the Czech Republic. You heard my call sign and it came right back to me. And um, John inherited his ham equipment from an uncle who passed away back in 2005. John wasn't licensed at the time, but it gave him his uh, incentive to get his ham license, and he proceeded to do that. And the next one 
I think we got a minute or two here. This is from Kent, V-E-3-K-N-T. So he's up in uh, Ontario someplace, and he's got pictures number two. Well, it says two and four here, but it must be three and four. There we go. I've been enjoying watching the new podcast, mostly watching it live. As we explained, if you watch it live, you get to see some of the pre-show stuff. So those of you that are watching on uh, uh, a download, um, stop by some Tuesday night at a few minutes before nine o'clock Eastern and, uh, and watch the pre-show. It, it's, uh, especially if we're having trouble. <laughs> so, so it's a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, Ken says he's mentioned the uh, Ham Nation program a few times on local two meter nets. And we really thank you for doing that. It is great for, um, for those of you that have been watching to share the news about this program. It's hard to get to the word out in ham radio. There's so many channels of communication, but so hard to get one consistent message out. So if you're on a two-meter net or something uh, or a mailing list for a club or at a club meeting, uh, tell folks about it because I think they'll enjoy it too. Um, Kent's made a homemade two-meter antenna. It does well for him. Um, he's given us some photos as well. It's been in use since last fall, still going strong. I can regularly repeat your, reach a repeater 50 miles or so away. He is 80 feet up on top on the top floor of an apartment. And uh He's lucky. He gets an outdoor antenna on an apartment building. A lot of us who have been in apartment buildings have to be uh, content with indoor antennas. Um, he says he's got one of the strongest signals on VHF. HF is a different matter. Uh, the antenna that we were looking at in the last picture um, was the HF antenna, and it's a mobile antenna, so it's compromised a little bit. But he says he's making some good DX contacts with the, the mobile antenna and 100 watts. He's also just upgraded his license to Advanced uh, just last weekend. Advanced is the top license in Canada, so who knows what's next? Well, congratulations, Kent, V-E-3-K-N-T. Keep those cards and letters coming. We love to hear from them, don't we, Gordo? We do, and uh, that is that is terrific. My last uh, last little card was, what in the world is that red ball on your desk? This is a barometric pressure weather ball, and as the pressure builds up, the water in the outside tube begins to descend with uh, a high-pressure system moving in. And this is what I use to monitor for a tropospheric duct between here and Hawaii, which we had two days ago on the 2-meter and the 432 band. Well, I can't, it, I think I can't it's believe that... I can't believe that you were sitting here talking on Ham Nation when the band was open to Hawaii. You are jaded. You've done this way too much. Well, that was my uh, downfall. When I went to transmit, I took myself out of uh, Ham Nation by uh, killing the connection on uh, the uh, camera. So I won't transmit again, I promise. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's almost time that we're going to bring in WB2 Mighty Good Professor. That's what we call Ms. Carol Perry. I had the opportunity of speaking to her classroom uh, in Staten Island about 10 years ago, and I knew that she would still be going strong with ham radio education for kids. So, Gary, I'm going to let you go ahead and do the official introduction, but let me tell you, here is a lady that, uh, with the school system, also representing Radio Club of America, for which I'm a fellow of RCA, she does a fabulous job in bringing more kids into ham radio. Gary, over to you. All right, well, let's go immediately to Carol Perry, WB2MGP. Hello, Carrie. can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Hi. Good evening, Gary. Good evening, Gordo, and to everybody who's listening. Well, Carol, 
what first of all, I want to get a little bit more of your background. Um, tell us a little bit about what you have done over many, many years in educating and bringing in new ham radio operators um, through the schools and wherever you do it. So tell us a little bit about your background. Okay, well, for 30 years, I created a curriculum that was used in a middle school in Island, New York. Some of the program was called Introduction to Radio. And I taught that to sixth, seventh, eighth graders. It was not as a licensing class. This is merely a fun way to the radio to expose the kids to technology and all the fun that if they wish to that they could get into, they did choose the license. And I was able to tie ham radio into enriching all areas of will be kind of surprised to know, but I taught 16 classes every term to 40 students, which means that 950 youngsters approximately came to that program every year. Okay, Carol, we're, we are getting a little bit of breakup in your audio. Um and Gordon, I think you can probably fill in some of the gaps uh, uh, for people that, that weren't quite getting everything Carol was saying. Can you can you uh, can you help us you out? Bet. Um, Carol Perry brought to the school system in uh, Staten Island the capability of training hams, not necessarily to pass a test, but to better understand radio. And through her ham radio station setup in the classroom, she's been able to teach everything from geography to geometry and uh, many other skills. And Carol, in just a moment, will turn it back to you. In fact, uh, one of the uh, fun things that we did was we operated on the air with a um, radio system called uh, CQ All Schools. And I'm going to uh, bring it up here shortly, and you can actually hear the CQ All Schools broadcast that we made uh, to the Johnson Space Center. And uh, this was uh, quite an interesting conversation. Operating the Johnson Space Center Amateur Radio Club Station W5 Romeo Romeo Romeo, and uh, Jay and I are here. Uh, actually, he was here first and has been working with Carol for quite a bit. But we do get a chance to come in and uh, work on the HF band and talk to schools all across the country and sometimes uh, as far up as Canada. And uh, that was uh, really a system started by uh, Carol Perry with our CQ All Schools. And it just points out that uh, she's got a way of getting ham radio into the classroom. So, Carol, I'm going to turn it over to you. And uh, if you talk maybe just a little slower, it'll catch that audio up to the digital world. How about telling us uh, about how many kids you've trained over all these years? Uh, go ahead, Ms. Perry. Oh, thank you, Gordo. Uh Okay, thank you. Uh, through the years, through the years at, at being at an intermediate school, I would get classes each term with 35 and 40 youngsters in each one of the classes. It was not an elective, it was each child going would either in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade program. 
and the object of the game, be open-minded and be uh, all the great things that ham radio had to offer them. And those people were able to do that. Okay, I think we have okay. to hold on there. Yeah. We've gone into a feedback mode entirely. I talked to Carol um, extensively yesterday when we were getting prepared for the program, and one of the things that that she is mentioning is that the uh, the students that she was was teaching, it was not a licensing class. It was an introduction class. It was not an elective. It was something that, that most of the students in the school were required to go through. So she was able to introduce a lot of people that might not have otherwise uh, gotten involved in, a, in a, any kind of a ham radio class. Now, you're not going to recruit, you're not going to license a lot of people out of something like that. Not that many people will be interested, but they were aware of what was going on, and um, and some of them did have an interest in ham radio, and then she would point them on to a uh, licensing class. That seems to be something different than just about anybody is going to be doing anyplace else in the country, Gordon. Well, that's absolutely correct. And now, Ms. Carol Perry, WB2, mighty good professor, has branched out, and she is now offering um, a link between the Radio Club of America Education Division and the schools across the country uh, to bring in training materials for those qualified instructors that want to do as she has done, and that is teaching kids about radio and ultimately getting them into ham radio. And for those that... Uh, uh, want to learn more about the Radio Club of America Schools program, simply send me an email and I'll put you in direct contact with uh, Carol Perry. My call sign WB6NOA at ARRL.net. It's an exciting program. Uh, go ahead, Gary, and then we'll try Carol again. You know, I want um, a quick answer about this Radio Club of America. I've heard that for a long time. And I'm not talking about RCA and Little Nipper and, you know, the dog that's uh, uh, squinting into the speaker. Radio Club of America, in 25 words or less, what the heck is that? Uh, this is one of the oldest uh, radio organizations in uh, the world. And in fact, I'm going to probably let Ms. Perry go ahead and describe it because uh, she's, I'm a fellow of Radio Club of America, but uh, she's one of the uh, educational uh, committee members. So, Carol Perry, can you tell us a few words about Radio Club of America? Go ahead, Carol. Well, absolutely. Through our youth activity, at the Radio Club of America, my mission is to number two different schools that we on across the country where an interest has been expressed to set up radio slash technology. And RCA is in a position to donate equipment, which has been donated to us. Story. And uh, in conjunction with Gordon West and his sister, give structure of how to teach the program, as well as materials available for the children. So we think it is and as opposed to I began during this 30 years, so for a teacher to bring an amateur 
technology programs, the school will be Yep, and we're heading back into uh, more feedback again. Yeah, I'm afraid we're not getting uh, enough of that to uh, to make it worth uh, uh, continuing with Carol at this point. I'm sorry, Carol. Um, sometimes the uh, internet technology is just not uh, uh, not kind to us, um, but it's inexpensive. <laughs> the price is right. Sometimes you get what you're paying for. Um, what they've got, Gordon, and I think you were telling us telling us about this is a uh, a program. If you want to teach, um, get students involved in uh, ham radio in a school, you got a couple ways to go. The ARL's got their big program. You can do it all on your own, or you can go with the program that the Radio Club of America is sponsoring. Um, and Carol can provide you all kinds of uh, uh, literature and uh, class guides and advice on how to get things going, a variety of ways. It can be a uh, an in-school class. It can be an after-school activity. It can be a full credit course. It can be an elective. A lot of different ways to structure putting a ham radio class into a school. She can give you some ideas on how to contact the school, what to tell them, how to... Uh, uh, to get the school interested, um, which they should be, especially if you're offering them something that is not going to cost them money. Uh, and I don't think this does. Um, so contact Gordon, and Gordon can put you in touch with uh, Carol. And we definitely need to get more ham radio operators and young ham radio operators. Along that line, Gordon, um, you, I mean, you, te- you work with kids all the time. I was licensed when I was 15. You were licensed when you were very young, but that was a long time ago. What, what are, uh, what's ham radio like for kids today? And what are kids in ham radio like for those of us that haven't uh, encountered that a lot? Well, certainly the big turn on for kids in ham radio is uh, computers and uh, the ICOM D Star system, as well as IRLP and Echolink, APRS automatic position reporting system. These are sort of gee whiz things that uh, kids really gravitate to. But what really gets them excited is they can make a transmission and they don't realize it until after a whole bunch of kids come back that it's like a party line where everybody is listening. And this is a big turn on because now they can do their own stage show via ham <laughs> and have everybody listening on the repeater or on some of the wind systems that are linked throughout the country. They have quite an audience. So kids are really taking the ham radio. But again, it takes that exposure that uh, Ms. Carol Perry or myself or yourself and other instructors will give them. And we're doing that at our local county fair. Also, Boy Scouts of America with their radio merit badge uh, is another great way to get uh, scouts into the next step. And that is radio merit badge. And then that interest level technician class license what is um one place you were going was that what will interest kids today is not what interested us when we got on the air um maybe operating cw maybe operating voice there wasn't very much else i mean we didn't have we had teletype we didn't have packet we didn't have anything else digital back when I got on. But I was amazed. I considered it all magic that I was just able to talk into a microphone or send Morse code on a key and communicate. Just being on the radio was total magic for me. Not now. Nope. Uh, the magic of making a long-range contact via Skywaves, I'm afraid, is not 
really magic to kids. They can do that uh, with Skype and many of the other Internet modes. So that's not a big thrill. But we still try and turn them on to the fact that, hey, this is free. This is wireless. And uh, you've got a ton of people listening more than just a closed-in conversation that you might have on an Internet chat room. Well, the chat room is pretty much like cam radio. You post something and everybody gets to see it. So these are some of the fun things that we do uh, in uh, ham radio. And it's real-time. It's not texting. This is real-time voice. Go ahead. Looking at the chat room, and um, one of the fellows is asking about university clubs. He says his university club is dying. Do you do, you do much with the folks at the college level? Uh, we certainly do, and I, I appreciate that comment. But it really takes um, an active one-person team to get either a high school going or a university ham station going, and they really have to uh, pull out all the stops to keep that enthusiasm up. And I think that uh, with uh, the IRLP and Echolink, it's pretty uh, pretty neat for hams to be able to experience a conversation all the way around the world uh, via the Internet and uh, the win system or many of the other systems that tie into the Internet, and they turn other folks on to this. But it takes that one hot uh, spark to get things uh, flaming up at uh, universities and down at high schools, like which Carol Perry is doing so well. Well, that's the case in almost any endeavor in ham radio and probably many, many other things that if you've got one or a small group of individuals who are really uh, enthusiastic and dedicated, you can bring more people in. But things don't spontaneously generate. It, it doesn't just happen all by itself. And that one person, if they do it long enough, um, well, Carol seems to have been doing fine for a long, long time. But that one person can sort of burn out. So they'll need help maybe even replacement. Um, we've got a university club here in uh, the Raleigh, uh, North Carolina area, North Carolina State, and it has been active and it has been inactive off and on. Uh, and right now I think it's kind of dormant. Um, and I think that's probably the case for a lot of schools. So, and what they're missing is that spark plug, someone to just keep it moving, keep it going. My peanut gallery is uh, shaking their head <laughs> Uh, one of them is uh, is a student at NC State, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I wish this the club were going, but the club is not going. So you're not alone. It, it's it's been a problem, um, and uh, it's a usual case. So many other things for the attention of someone who's interested in communication. In the '60s, the '70s, uh, in through the '80s, before the the surge of the internet, we had personal communication almost to ourselves and we don't anymore and we need to tell people what is different about us and uh, gordon i think what's what's really different is that our wired connection ends at the antenna on top of our house we do have internet-based systems uh, but they're not predominant to ham radio they're not what we really rely on no more wires after our signal reaches the antenna, goes up through the ionosphere or uh, across the atmosphere to whoever we're talking to, and nobody else's system is required. So that, to me, is still the magic and the excitement of the ham radio. So uh, let me give it back to you, Gordon, for one more comment, and then we will turn over to uh, George and do some smoke and solder. Okay. Well, I agree. It is that uh, magic uh, wireless connection. In fact, at our local county fair, um, we have uh, just scored the ICOM IC9100. Now, take a look at this. I got it back here uh, all set to get done. Yeah, it's, it's a goodie. 
And uh, we're going to put that in at the fairgrounds, not so much for the people that don't know ham radio to admire, but for those hams that have been, well, not real active in uh, going to the county fair and working the ham booth, but going, oh, man, now that you got a new piece of equipment, I'll be on down there. So I install it tomorrow. Thanks to ICOM for getting that down just in time for our one month, one and a half million people uh, attending the uh, Orange County Fair. And this radio will be uh, the showcase radio. And you're right. We'll try and convey that magic of wireless. I've long wanted to uh, have ham radio involved in the uh, North Carolina State Fair. That we have, we don't have a county fair here. We have the state fair in town, and I've always thought that would be fun. For a long time, we tied up all our hams here with uh, communications for the Red Cross. Um, we were their dispatchers, and that used up two hams uh, per sh- uh, four-hour shift uh, for the whole day. So a lot of hams involved in that. Now we're not doing that. They're all on their 800 megahertz system. And uh, maybe we can squeeze in a, uh, a ham station at the uh, state fair. Never hurts to uh, to play with ham radio where the public can see what's going on and uh, get some promotion out there. Well, um, Bob Heil started a segment a couple of programs ago that he calls Smoke and Solder. And well, I think Bob realizes that uh, he uh, Bob does a good job of, uh, of uh, creating smoke and doing solder, and something that I don't particularly do very much myself. He decided that he would outsource smoke and solder, and he found someone who knows all about how to do that. That is uh, George Thomas W five JDX, and let's see if we've got our Skype connection up with George. George, there you are. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Hey, Gary and Gordo. Good to see y'all tonight. Uh, not hearing my audio back on my own. You're on. You're, you're loud and clear. Um, Gordon found, uh, rather, uh, Bob found you on another internet podcast program. And I want to give you a chance to promote that a little bit because you guys are still doing it. You've been on for years and years. Now, Ham Nation is brand new. And, and one of the differences with Ham Nation is that we do have a live broadcast, although you can pick it up later on if uh, you miss the Tuesday night live broadcast. You guys are strictly a download podcast. But what is it? What do you guys do? Who do you do it with? Where can people see it? Well, the website is www.amateurlogic.tv. Uh, we began it about five years ago when uh, Internet uh, television was just starting to take off. There weren't many shows on yet, and uh, I began watching a few and told a couple of my friends here, Jimmy in 5SPE and Tommy in 5ZNO, and uh, they started watching some shows, and I said, you know, I kind of like this. Would uh, would you like, guys like to put something together? And they said, sure, let's go for it. So we started AmateurLogic.tv. Um, our first episodes were not strictly ham radio. We talked about Wi-Fi and a lot of different things. And we really had fun doing it. And uh, Amateur Logic did not necessarily imply amateur radio, just uh, a bunch of amateurs doing stuff is what we were thinking. But as it went along, since we were all amateur radio operators, it got more and more into amateur radio. And we still cover other topics as well. But, uh, oh, I don't know, a year or two into the show, we had a fan in Australia, Peter, uh, VK3PB, who lives in Melbourne, contacted us, and uh, we got to chatting with him. And... Things worked out to where Peter joined us on the show, and uh, he joins us through Skype like they do here on Twit, and we've been having a great time ever since. 
we uh, released an episode recently on field day. Uh, Jimmy, Tommy, and I, and uh, a couple other friends, went out in the woods way off the grid and uh, set up a field day station. Had a great time doing it, and uh, we shared that with our viewers. Uh, that's our latest episode. We have one that will be out in another week or two. That's going to involve a balloon launch and uh, amateur radio tracking uh, through several different modes, and that's going to be real interesting as well. Your programs run, what, about 45 minutes to an hour? Generally about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, that's what we target. We try to break it into 10-minute segments so uh, we don't put too many people to sleep. But, you know, it's it's covered a, a wide variety of topics from amateur radio uh, to computers to photography and, uh, you know, just about anything any of us guys uh, likes to do, um, we show it on there. And, and most of it's, uh, I think, uh, the viewers here would find interesting. So it's at amateurlogic.tv, and it's a free download. And um, so, uh, so try that if you if uh, if Ham Nation doesn't give you all of the uh, ham radio television that uh, satisfies you in any given week or so, uh, uh, try amateurlogic.tv. And you are it's in, I guess you would call it irregular. It's not uh, not every week, not every month, but almost every month. Yeah, our target was every month, and we did a good job of, of hitting it just about every month for uh, two, three years there. Uh, the last year or so, we've been a little slower on it, but uh, we're trying to get back into the role again and target one month again. Uh, you know, it's a lot more work since uh, all these are pre-produced and the videos have to be edited. It can't be switched live like it is here. So it takes a good deal of time. And then all of us are located in different areas and, and Peter's even out of the country. So uh, it takes a while to get it together. But uh, we'd encourage everyone just to uh, check amateurlogic.tv ever so often, see if there's a new episode or Join our Facebook group, and you can get information there as well. Good deal. Well, I know about uh, what it takes to produce a program that is edited, because all of my stuff is edited. And uh, there are months between when I go out and shoot something and get it uh, turned around and uh, and released. And um, so I know how that works. And I have no idea how you guys accomplish as much as you do as often and as fast as you do, because there's no way I turn stuff out that fast. Um so congratulations, and now it is time to produce some smoke and solder. Let me do an audible here and check with Alex back in the control room. Alex, were we able to uh, acquire that video that we've been talking about? We have the video. All right, George, uh, I'll turn it back to you for an introduction. Okay, here's a segment I did in episode 9 of AmateurLogic.tv. Uh, it was titled, How to Solder Like a Pro. One thing I want to caution you about is always disconnect the power from whatever you're going to be soldering. You do not need to be soldering on something that has electricity applied to it. Not only will you damage whatever it is you're trying to solder, you'll likely hurt yourself as well. What do you need to solder with? Well, first thing you're going to need is a good soldering iron. Not necessarily the cheapest one that you can find at Walmart. You want one that's going to provide good even temperature, preferably one that's thermostatically controlled. Most of the ones you find at Radio Shack are fine, and uh, those that you probably order from an electronic supply house are fine. Uh, if your iron is too hot, then you're going to end up 
doing more damage than you are good. So choose the right soldering iron for the job. I prefer to use a soldering station for most jobs and this you know, little unit right here is around 50 bucks. It's available from Weller. It's a WLC 100. It's nothing fancy. Uh, it does have a thermostatic control in it. It also allows you to vary the temperature via a pot mounted on the front. It also has a cleaning sponge and a uh, holder for the uh, soldering iron. You want to keep your tip clean and the best way to do that is by using the sponge. I like to clean the tip frequently before I start soldering and even during the process. It's also important that the tip be tinned with the solder that you're going to be soldering with. Tin it involves nothing more than just taking a little bit of the solder and letting it melt onto the tip. And when you're soldering it's very important to use the right solder for the job. And for electronics, which is primarily what we'll be talking about here, you want to use a solder that's not going to corrode and destroy whatever it is you're working on. It might look okay when you get through, but years later, if you've used the wrong type of solder, it can eat right through the traces or the wires. Now, I like uh, multi-core solder. It's safe for electronics. It's rosin or esrin based. It's not acid core, and that's one thing you want to be careful of is never use acid core solder on electronics. Some solders are solid wires. This particular one ha is hollow and has the flux inside. Now what's the flux for? Well that helps the uh, solder stick to the metal better. Without the flux it won't stick. If you've got a case of a connector or a large piece of metal that you want to solder by applying a little extra flux to it, you can get that solder to uh, flow much quicker and you don't burn up whatever it is you're trying to uh, connect to. So when you begin to solder, there's a few points to remember. First, you want to use the correct amount of heat adjusted on your iron or by using the proper iron for the job. You don't want to burn surrounding components or insulation, so be careful. You want a good clean iron. A dirty iron will never make a good connection. You want to use rosin core or electronic safe solder. You don't want to use cheap solder either. Uh, it just won't work. It'll ball up on the end of the tip and it just won't stick to your wires. I like to use multi-core or Weller, uh, Kester. You can use Radio Shack solder. I understand that it is better these days. Now, not every metal will uh, hold solder, in particular aluminum wall. So we've tinned our iron. It's ready to solder. Uh, the next thing we we'll want to do is uh, tin the material that we'll be soldering. The reason that you'll want to tin wires is to not only make them stick quicker to whatever connector or other wire you're soldering it to, but also it'll melt back some of the insulation that's on the wire so that you don't do it when you're actually trying to solder to the connector. It's uh, pre-shrunk, more or less. As you can see, I put my iron on the wire and then we touch the solder right where the wire and the soldering iron join. We don't put the solder on the iron and then put it on the wire. We actually want to heat the wire and allow the solder to soak directly into it. We also don't want to leave too much uh, solder on the wires. Just enough that you've got them coated good 
Now when we stick these to a connector or to another wire, they will bond much quicker. So we won't burn up the connector that we're trying to solder to. To avoid overheating the connector itself, it's often a good idea to tin the connector before we actually begin uh, soldering the wire. We'll do that by just applying a little solder directly to the metal of the connector and just allowing it to flow along. Now when we stick our wire through and solder it, it takes very little heat to actually make it stick. The solder just runs right to the wire. It's very important that you don't move the wire or the connector until the solder has thoroughly dried. Otherwise, you'll have a bad joint, what's often referred to as a cold joint. Typically, a good solder joint will look shiny. A cold solder joint will look dull and will even break when you pull the wire. When soldering to a PC board, it's very important that you don't allow the solder to run between the traces. You want to use just enough solder to make the connection you intend and no extra to flow over and create problems. So I put the iron to the board and the wire and then I apply the solder right to where the two meet. Now I can cut those two wires and there I have a good connection and there is no solder bridge between the two connections. This is what you want to avoid. Now, if you have too much solder on a board, there's a couple of different ways to get it off. One is by using a device called a vacuum desoldering tool or a solder sucker. You cock the device and uh, put the tip to the area after you heat it up, release the trigger, and it sucks the excess solder away. Now another popular method of removing solder is with solder wick. It's just a braid uh, with some flux in it that you can buy at Radio Shack or electronic supply store. You put that over the solder, heat it up with the iron, and the solder actually melts and soaks into the braid. So when you remove the braid, you take the solder with it. I hope you've enjoyed this brief look at soldering today. This was just an introductory lesson to get you started. Now get you some materials and start practicing because the more you practice, the less opportunity you have to mess up something that's really important. <laughs> oh, that is great. George, that was terrific. Oh, thank you, Gordo. Uh, you know, I, I like to solder. I always have since I was a kid, and I hope I can get somebody else enthused about it. That is uh, great. You you uh, have a challenge in me. <laughs> I, I um, my first soldering experience was back in about maybe 1963 or so. 13 years old. My dad bought my brother and me a pair of the night kit CB walkie talkies. It was the model C100. For those of you of a certain age and can remember back then, the C100. It was a little blue plastic uh, one channel super regen receiver. It was a kit. It came with a uh, with a fairly big circuit board, or, or a small circuit board, but big components on it. And uh, my dad had a Weller 120-watt soldering gun. I think what my brother and I did was pretty much coat the entire circuit board with a layer of solder. Of course, nothing worked. There it is. We, uh, uh, my dad took, uh, took that back to the uh, Radio Shack store and uh showed the salesman and they um they took our guts out 
of the case, put in some brand new guts, charged my dad pretty much what it cost him again originally, which I think back then was about 10 bucks, which in 1963 bucks was, was something, especially for a 13 year old kid. And, uh, and, and we were happy. We, we played with those radios for minutes before we got tired of them. And, um, that's not my last experience with solder. I've built a few successful kits, um, but, you haven't sold me yet. Uh, work on me a little bit more. <laughs> well, my first experience, Gary, was with a, uh, I'm not sure what you call it. Maybe it was used for uh, roofing or something, but it was this huge uh, iron that my father had. It was probably my grandfather's. It had a big, long tip on the end of it. It was about an inch square all the way around and then came to a point. And you stuck this in a fire to heat it up. And, uh, I, uh, I tried using it <laughs> on the blacksmith. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I didn't do much good with that. It, it really didn't work out. And then I bought a, uh, cheap soldering iron at a discount store and I could only ball up solder on the end of the tip. It wouldn't stick to anything. And eventually I got a decent iron and some decent solder. And that's, that's a big part of it right there is getting a decent iron and good solder because otherwise, uh, it's kind of futile. I've got one more quick soldering story. I worked at a a television production company back in Chicago, and I was down in the shop with the chief engineer, who was uh, George, W9AUM, another George, and um, we were having uh, a duel. Um, I had a hot soldering iron plugged into the wall, and I'm not sure what his weapon of choice was, but he reached over and thought he was being clever. He unplugged my soldering iron. (laughs) <laughs> I held up the soldering iron and said, George, this is still going to be hot for a while. And he realized I had won the battle. A couple of questions came in off the chat room. Um, first of all, uh, you had a lot of Weller stuff in there. Do you have a specific brand that you prefer? Well, I've used a lot of Wellers over the years. They are real popular, probably the most popular one out there besides uh, maybe Unger. I've used a number of the Radio Shack ones. They were actually made by one of those two companies and just had Radio Shack stamped on it. But, you know, any uh, good name brand is probably okay. I've seen a lot of uh, cheaper soldering stations at the various parts distributors recently, and they look pretty good. Uh, the main thing I look for, though, when I go uh, to, to look for new soldering iron is something that I'm going to be able to find t- tips for in the future. Uh, a lot of these cheap ones, uh, <laughs> the tips are going to be hard to locate. So you want to make sure about that. And, and this little $50 weller that I use, uh, it takes the same tips as a two and $300 station. So, uh, you know, that's worked out great. I probably have four or five different tips, all different sizes for different jobs. I was, it was. It leads me to to, uh, to mention two things. First of all, um, you do a lot of soldering. How long is a tip good, and when do you know it's no good and time to replace? Well, you can usually tell that it's no good when it it no longer looks uh, <laughs> it no longer looks new. Uh, <laughs> if if you leave, well, smooth, uh, smooth, they get pitted, don't they? That's it. It starts getting pitted. So that's why I clean mine frequently. And, and that seems to help a little bit with that. But once it starts uh, bending or getting some little pits in it, it's time to throw that one out and go for a new one. And I would like to mention that uh, in this video, there was a, a good bit of time compression in there that your actual soldering speed may vary. 
<laughs> okay. The next question then is um, one size does not fit all. You got a bunch of different different tips. How do you pick what size to use for what job? For PC boards, I use a fairly small tip. Uh, I, I hesitate to say the size, but uh, you know, one that's uh, about uh, the size of the connection I'm going to try to make. I don't want one that's too wide, like perhaps a chisel because then I'm going to get over into other areas of the PC board that I really don't want to heat up at the same time. Uh, so you want to be um, probably using a tip that's uh, just small enough for the job. Now, I have some really fine Portmans that I would use for surface mop soldering, and then if I'm going to be soldering a connector, I might go to uh, a wider one like, um, oh, I don't know, maybe... Uh, up to an eighth of an inch wide to do a connector with and just uh, keep several around and experiment with them and you'll eventually learn which one works okay finally a, a lost art soldering coax connectors now, that'll be a show in itself but the gun the, the irons that you've been showing are not appropriate for soldering coax connectors it didn't look like to me no they weren't and uh this is probably what you want to do uh, coax connectors with. I know Gordo has one of these. Bob has one. It's a Weller. Uh, this one's just 140 watts, and that one's plenty to do the job with. You can actually solder them with the um, with the soldering station if you turn the temperature up all the way, but it does take longer. Uh, the thing that's good about these, uh, you know, for bigger stuff, is if you don't have a tip or if yours gets worn out and you're in the middle of a job, you can just go cut you a piece of uh, copper house wiring and form you a new one. Huh. Way I didn't too clever. know that. So uh, somebody in the chat room is also mentioning never solder something above your hands. Don't Don't solder or any part of your body, I guess. Don't solder up there. That can be quite Ever a problem. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and I've um, got the scars to prove it. Uh, also, I noticed someone in there said, don't wear shorts while you're soldering. That's an <laughs> excellent tip. And uh, back in the days when we used to wear the uh, the mod pants and uh, nylon and, and such as that, you really don't want to drop solder on something like that. Well, you always knew the engineer had been doing some soldering when his uh, nylon shirt had a little burn mark in it. And they almost all did. Yeah. And I, I actually, you mentioned uh, coax connectors a moment ago. I have a, uh, a video I did on that, a real neat trick that I learned that perhaps we'll look at in uh, some future episode. And talking about soldering, uh, I got a little care package today from our good friends over at MFJ Enterprises, uh, Martin Jew and the crew. And they sent me a couple of things here that... Uh, may be of interest to some of our viewers. They have a company called Vectronics that makes kits. And they sent me this little uh, soldering lesson kit here. It's uh, produced with uh, Mississippi State University. It's uh, a kit they use in their training. And it's got a lot of components in it. I see transistors and integrated circuits and such in there. And this sounds like something that some of our uh, viewers who are uh, just beginning to solder, might be interested in. So I'm going to talk with Bob this week and see if we can't figure out some way to give this away. Oh, cool. Free prizes. That's what we need in a program to make it popular. Free prizes. Gordon, what have you got for us to give away? 
All right. Well, maybe how some. About a, how about an IC9100, and I'll be the first in line. <laughs> It's a little heavy to give away, but uh, <laughs> thanks to Martin Jew with MFJ. MFJ is very generous in supporting kids and all the programs that they have. So big thanks to uh, to Martin. Um, I'm giving away uh, two questions uh, for those uh, practicing for passing the technician class exam. The fourth element is amateur radio practice only. Two questions on your upcoming tech test, and they're easy ones like, what happens if you set the mic gain too high? And the answer, of course, is distorted output. Next week, we're going to talk uh, aboard the Queen Mary, uh, Element uh, 2, uh, Category 5, Electronic Principles. And you do not need to worry, nor be a Leo Laporte, to know that Ohm's Law, there'll be about four questions on your upcoming tech test. And uh, the Ohm's Law questions are easy. Power is equal to volts times amps and you'll need to know the ohm's law circle so uh, keep on studying you should be about one third of the way through either tech general or extra and uh, let me know if i can uh, help you you can even give me a phone call and i'm happy to talk with anyone 714-549-5000 and i always enjoy hearing our ham nation readers on the phone during the day all right uh, gary back to you and george Thank you. I am wearing shorts, so I promise I won't take out my 250 uh, Weller and do a uh, PL259, always recommending that you use Teflon insulation on the PLs. That way it won't distort if you get that center pin a little too hot. Uh, back to, to you, Gary. And, and I guess I'd, I'd recommend uh, also the safety glasses because uh, um, little blob of solder can just kind of erupt and explode in your face. And uh, that would be uncool. George, thank you very much. Smoke and solder. I'm going to let you sign off here. Well, Gary and Gordon, thank you both. Uh, I had a good time tonight. I know we had to fill a little extra time because of the uh, problems we had with Carol's Internet connection. Uh, hopefully, uh, you can get her back on sometime in the future. Uh, I look forward to seeing everyone next week. Until then, 73. Okay, George, thank you very much. Go ahead, Gordon. Yeah, just 73, George, and uh, keep that smoke smoking with that uh, solder. Yeah, maybe I'll solder something again. I do, I'm um, adequate at soldering coax connectors, but I'm surprised at our radio club. A lot of people don't know how to solder a coax connector at all. So that is clearly a, uh, a topic for a future program, and we could spend almost the whole program on, the, on doing that well. Uh, if you were to look at the coax connectors that I have soldered, you could go through my history as a ham and all the coax connectors around and figure out which ones I did. I make the same mistakes on every one of them. <laughs> um, let's see. There was one more thing I wanted to bring up from Carol that I forgot to mention um, and that she wasn't able to mention, and that is that um, the Radio Club of America is looking for young uh, for hams for their Young Achiever Award. I wish I could tell you more about that. But all I know, it was a topic she wanted to bring up. But clearly, they're getting, they have an award and is going to go to a young ham. And do you know anything about it that you can add, Gordon, how to contact them and find out more about that? Well, again, I am happy to uh, take uh, any emails that come to me 
directed to Carol Perry and the very powerful Radio Club of America programs for not only instructors, but also their key student achiever. Forward me your email, and I'll forward that on to Ms. Perry, and she'll get you the full RCA package. But Radio Club of America is for qualified instructors in the school system, sending out a free package in cooperation with the W5YI group, and uh, that package is a book and audio, and it helps that instructor get started with teaching uh, kids ham radio. So I'll be happy to take all of those inquiries and pass them directly on to Ms. Perry. Okay, Gordon. Well, thank you very much. We have run out of time. It is time to wrap up this edition of Ham Nation. I would like to thank everybody for watching. Thank you, Gordon, for uh, helping me out here and uh, keeping me on the straight and narrow. Thanks to George, W5JDX, our smoke and solder guy. Thanks to Carol Perry, WB2MGP. Carol, apologize for the uh, the Internet difficulties because uh, you had a lot of good information to pass along. Sorry we didn't get to talk to Leo live and in person and uh, congratulate him, but I hope uh, we'll have a chance to do that. Well, Bob will have a chance to do that next week. Bob will be back next week with uh, Ham Nation. In the meantime, I am Gary Pierce, KN4AQ, and I will say 73, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. 73, and we'll see you aboard the Queen Mary next week. Thanks, Gary. Gordo, WB6NOA, clear, and Susie in 6GLF on the side. Over and out. <laughs>